0: Jonathan Sanborn and Lisa Jernigan.
1: And welcome to Counterculture and Amplify Peace. It is our privilege to join you today and, and have a conversation that we're inviting you into. And I'm Lisa Jernigan.
2: And I'm Jonathan Sanborn.
1: And we're just excited to have you with us. And it's good to see you again.
2: Good to see you too.
1: I know. I'm looking forward to this.
2: So we, we're all about the conversations, right? Conversations Total. all about the conversations.
1: Totally. Right. And riveting ones. Yes. Engaging ones.
2: So one of my goal is to bring you out of your shell on this show.
1: I know. Right. Yeah. You're so shy. I'm so shy and I (laughs) I don't have words and and you don't either.
2: No, no. I'm just a wallflower.
1: So it makes it fun. So we have to give each other like signals across the mic. Right. Going. Oh, I. I, 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 Right.
2: (laughs) I think we don't have any problems for lack of words. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, We're excited about this show. Absolutely. Um,
1: right, because a lot of us have traveled to the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. And when you think of going to the Holy Land, you think of going to biblical sites and you, and you're, you go all around in sure. Israel and see things, right, that are amazing. But a lot of us have not spent much time in the Holy Land, the part called Palestine, which is referred to as the West Bank. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first trip I was on in the Holy Land and with a tour. And I asked about going into the city of Hebron, which is where King David was Mm -hmm. and the you know, the patriarchs and it's in Palestine. And I was told we couldn't go there. And I said, Why? And they're like, It's very dangerous and there's terrorists there. Okay. And you know what? I never questioned that. Right. I'm like, Okay, well I yeah, if it's dangerous, I don't want to go there then i later discovered in years that you can go into palestine uh-huh. and there's very beautiful people in mm-hmm. the west bank mm-hmm. and a lot of us have this we we have this projection that it's terrorists and we we right. don't go there but we've never met anybody from there right and so once you start meeting people it changes everything mm. and you start realizing there's some beautiful people that yes. call palestine home and have for mm-hmm. you know years, centuries. Yeah. And that there's a lot of believers there.
3: Mm-hmm. They're diminishing, mm-hmm. but there's yeah.
1: believers there, really beautiful people. So our guest today is, is Mercy Aiken. And Mercy has, uh, she's had 20 plus years of working in various Christian ministries and churches. And, and in 2015, she went over and spent time in Bethlehem actually lived there, kind of immersed and understand the community and the culture and fell in love with it. Mm. And while she was there, she met a man, Bashar Awad, who was the founder of Bethlehem Bible College, Oh, which it's an amazing college. A lot of people don't even know about no, it, right? right? And um, and so she just developed, they developed a really deep friendship, and she actually wrote a book in 2021 called Yet in the Dark Street Shining, which is his story, mm. his family story and his story today. I'm just so excited to welcome Mercy to our show. So, Mercy, welcome to Counterculture.
0: Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here.
1: Well, um, there's so much we could could talk about on this show, but you just got back from leading a group to the Holy Land, to Israel and Palestine. And um, I just want to start off, 2015, tell us about your journey. What called you to go
0: spend time in Bethlehem? Well, you know, like a lot of um, American Christians, I grew up really cherishing the whole concept of the Holy Land and... Israel and the Jewish people, it was very, very dear to me, very important to me. And so it was always a place that was on my radar as a place that I wanted to go. Um, And I really became aware of it during the second Intifada. So at that time, I would have been exposed very much to the, the suffering of the Jewish people with the bus bombings and the things that were going on. Mm-hmm. And I had a I had a very, very strong uh, pro-Israel feeling and a very, very negative uh, Palestinian feeling in my heart at that time, uh, mainly from the, the stuff that I was reading. Um, I just wasn't exposed to anything related at all to the Palestinian narrative, and I had no concept of it. Um, then a few years later, I read a book Called Blood Brothers, about a Palestinian Christian named Elias Takur who lives up in the Galilee.
3: Mm. And
0: that book completely rocked my world. It just exposed Mm. me to a whole other side of Israel Palestine that I'd never heard of before. Like you were saying, Lisa, in your introduction, we don't know, when we don't know people, we make judgments about Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And I had. Until then, I'd actually had no concept that there was even such a thing as Palestinian Christians, let alone that there was like this dignity and beauty and warmth and generosity and a lot of like nonviolence and gentleness in the Palestinian community
3: mm-hmm.
0: as relayed through Elias Shakur's story. And that there had been Christians living in the Holy Land from the beginning of Christianity.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow. Talking, I know, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, that there had been this unbroken presence of Christians living there in the very land where our faith was born. Hmm. So that that gave me this idea that, yes, now I want to go over there at some point, and now I have a broader understanding that, you know, it's more nuanced, and there's more layers to the story here, and there's a lot of people who are suffering in different ways living in the land, and I would like to go over and get to know them and support them and see you know, what I might do to come alongside whatever the Lord is doing or what He gives me to do in the land. So that thought then took root in the back of my mind. But it really wasn't until the summer of 2014 when another conflict broke out between um, Israel and Gaza.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, that, that it just gripped my heart for some reason, you mm-hmm. know, more than any other like bombing or war situation that, you know, we read about these things in the U.S., and they all seem kind of far removed. Um, but that one somehow became very vivid to me,
3: mm-hmm. and I
0: felt—I I almost just felt like I was standing in the middle of the whole thing. Um, I could just say it was an intercessory sort of prayer position that the Lord put me in, and I started thinking about Israel and Palestine every day, and wanting to understand the situation better, and researching and reading, and I was thinking about Israel and Palestine nonstop mm. about a month or two went by, and then I realized that I had spent the earlier part of that year asking the Lord to really, if He was calling me overseas, which I felt He was, to really make someplace very, very clear to me, mm. because I didn't want to go wherever sounded interesting right, to me. I right. wanted to be led by the Lord, and it you know, I got so consumed with Israel and Palestine that I'd forgotten even about that prayer until I realized I'd been thinking about Israel and Palestine every day for months on end. And I realized that the Lord had answered that prayer and that he was opening the door and calling me to go specifically to that place. And that was just a explosion of like delight <laughs> in my heart. You know, that the Lord had answered that prayer so clearly for me. So um, wow. I found Bethlehem Bible College on Google and went over there. A year later, I was there.
2: <laughs> wait, wait. So you just started, like, you had confirmed from the Lord that this was this was where you really needed to go. So you just started Googling, right? Is that what you just did?
0: Yeah. Uh, part of your uh, content there just broke off. But I think I you said that I just started Googling to yeah. see, like, where to go. Yeah. Well, I wasn't even Googling where to go so much. I was just Googling to understand because I started sharing a little bit about, like, on social media, like, while you're praying for Israel, please pray for Palestine, too, and some people were pushing back against that idea, some of my uh, fellow Christians, and, you know, it just, it, it made me realize I didn't understand the situation enough, and so I just started researching, and I was just checking out every book I could from the library, and Constantly Googling. So I found Bethlehem Bible College on Google. I was reading about them. I thought it sounded like a really dynamic and powerful ministry right there in Bethlehem. Palestinian Christians, and actually Palestinian evangelicals.
3: Mm, wow. <laughs>
0: um, and, and so they're like a minority of a minority. Yeah. Of a minority, you know. Mm-hmm. And... But, but they were making, they seemed to be making a huge impact. Like their voices really seemed to be strong and clear. And I thought to myself that I could probably learn a lot from these Christians who are living in a context that's completely different than anything I've ever lived through or could possibly imagine. And what does the Christian faith look like? How does it develop, you know, living in that kind of context? Um, I just had I'd been having sort of this growing awareness that that my Christianity living in North America from my place of um, privilege, I'll say, you know, that that it had sort of developed differently than other expressions of Christianity that I'd seen through history or around Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. And so I would really been having a hunger to experience. Experience Christianity from the place of like the underside of power, or where people were really suffering for their faith. Well, and I so and appreciate so,
1: like you, you, you hear something, you are like, okay, my, I think my understanding is incomplete. Yeah, right. Like, there is more to the story right. than what I've been told or what I understand. And you kind of, I think this is important. Each of us going our own journey of trying, you know, leaning in with curiosity. What do I? What don't I know? Yes. What else don't I know? Right. And mm-hmm. going on that journey, and then you got to meet people. Again, it wasn't yes. just this country, it wasn't just this place, it was the people. And so as yes. you started conversations, like even, you know, with uh, Bashara, it, how did that change? Like, when you, when you talk to the people, and what did you learn
0: from them? What did I learn from the Palestinian? Yeah, like, I, I mean, a lot of times we
1: see people, and we see them very different. But we, you know, you know, it's important to go, where are we so much alike? I and mean, you can sit, look at people in different countries and go, but here's all of our differences.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: where did mm-hmm. you go? Oh, my gosh, here's where we're connecting in the common places.
0: Well, yeah, one of the things I guess that that just struck me the most about spending time with Palestinians is like, yeah, Palestinians are just like everyone else. Like, it's almost a silly thing to have to say in this day and age. But it bears repeating that the people we think are so different from us you know, are just like us. And I kept trying to imagine, you know, if, if North Americans were living through something like what the Palestinians are living through, how would we respond? Probably in very similar ways from wh- how you see the Palestinians responding. Like mm-hmm. most people, you know, they just try to make the best of life and go on, you know, as they can. Others, you know, become very strong in their faith and they try to encourage others in, in, to walk in greater faith. Others just become sort of bitter and depressed. You know, there's the whole spectrum of just everything that um, you would see anywhere. The Palestinians are very human people, uh, just like us. But one of the things that, well, there's a few things that I love about the Palestinian people, and I'm making a big generalization, but they really manage to keep a sense of humor. <laughs> wow. But, you know, which I would just find really delightful, like just joking and laughing about the the just the ongoing sort of trauma that they're living through is sort of a defense mechanism, but it's a good one you know mm-hmm. to be able to just find humor in the situation and find joy with each other to really cherish um, the good things in life as much as possible and to amplify those good things like family weddings and harvestings of olives and You know the things that you do, the cycles of life, really marking those things with joy as much as they could in their context.
2: Um, I I love that. I mean, you think about the if you put like ask the average American what name five character traits of Palestinians. Mm -hmm. Right. Great sense of humor probably wouldn't be on those that top five. (laughs) Yet when you say it, when you really spend time. With other people and learn their story and their narrative and, and just and you love it. I mean, you get to really see that and you and you, yes. you, you lived it yourself
1: in the sense of community and they communi- have, yeah. right? With family and coming and celebrating yeah. little things like the harvest and different yeah. things, right? Yeah. We we forget that people can have joy in the midst of extreme trauma. Well, I
2: try to get everyone to part up to throw a party when I come home from Costco. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. a harvest.
0: that's kind of like a, yeah. that is a harvest. Look
2: at the bounty, parties,
3: my but, children.
0: Yeah, <laughs> are very generous. So they're a very, very um, hospitable culture and very generous. Wow. And one of the things that I learned quickly, and this was especially with the Muslims who are just exceedingly generous. Like mm. if they love you, if they feel that that you love them and they can trust you. They are so generous.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
0: I learned not to compliment them on their jewelry, for example, because they may very well take that ring off their finger. Oh, for sure. Wow. It. For yep. sure. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and when I went to their homes, that they may very well give me their bed in their bedroom right. to sleep in. Wow. Or if I went to their home for dinner, mm-hmm. they would seat me often like at a place of honor and hand feed me like the choice pieces of chicken yeah. off of the platter. Like yeah. literally yeah. like put it in my mouth. Like that's the kind of generous, welcoming hospitality yeah. that that I experienced with the Palestinians and especially the Palestinian Muslims that just blew me away. Mm. You know?
2: I love that. I and I, I feel like not only do are people like us in some ways they're better than us <laughs> oh,
0: we have much, <laughs> when to, I, learn, we have much right? to
2: learn and grow like in our like yeah. in Amer- American hospitality, it oftentimes is make yourself at home. Right. There's the fridge, right? You know, uh, you know. There's the bathroom. Just be be like family. That's sort of your equal. Yeah. You they want to place you an equal, but in yeah. Muslim hospitality, is often you're a, you're above.
3: Oh, for you're sure. A, yeah. You're,
2: you're, <laughs> you're honored. higher yeah. honored. You're higher. Like yeah. we will give yeah. you the best yeah. and the, yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Wow. It's humbling. It is humbling. Yeah, and it we we have really much to learn. Humbling.
0: Yep, and it really gave me a passion, like, after I came back to the States as I was coming and going. Like, I would find myself scanning the crowd looking for Muslims. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> if I'd be in a something, You know, like, how can I go bless them? Because they blessed me so much in mm-hmm. their context, and I want them to feel that here, you know? Yeah. I don't want them to feel... Um, hated or marginalized or forgotten or overlooked or tolerated or anything. I want them to feel embraced and loved and blessed because that's what they did for me. And I've seen them, as you guys have attested, that's what they do for people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and not have people feel like they're the other, Mm -hmm. like we we all belong,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: right? We may be different, see life, different, different faith practices, but we belong. We're humans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit. you wrote this story of uh, this book about um bashara awad um and he has an amazing journey uh just with his family background and then he starts bethlehem bible college and, and today i mean i I've been there several times it's an amazing place really? hmm. that are training and raising up leaders you hmm. know and and sending them out all over the world
3: hmm. yeah huh.
1: so can you just tell a little bit like? In this journey of of writing his story, what did you discover um, that was just influential and impactful to you?
3: Hmm.
0: You know, I was, first of all, I was just so taken by Bashara's story because it's like one of these dynamic stories of faith that would be an incredible story in any context, you know, especially like learning about the faith, the strong faith of his mother.
3: Mm -hmm. Bashara
0: Mm -hmm. comes from an anciently rooted Christian family in Jerusalem on his mother's side, and you know they've lived there as far as any time or record can be known, and they they're a godly family, you know, like a real. Bizarre's mother was a real saint. So just to uh, quickly sum up a part of the story. Uh, His family was living in Jerusalem in 1948 when the war
3: broke out
0: for the Israeli independence, or what the Palestinians would call the Nakba, two very different sides to the same story. Um, But Bashar's father went out one day to look for food. Their house was caught in no man's land in Jerusalem in between uh, Jewish forces and Jordanian forces. So they were sort of trapped in this neighborhood that uh, be- was becoming increasingly dangerous as this war dragged on. And they were running out of food in their home. And they were they were in a real just survival situation. And the dad went out one day, Bashar's father, to look for food. And he was immediately shot by a sniper that probably came from um, the Israelis. Although um, Huda, Bashar's mother, said, it doesn't matter. We don't it doesn't matter who shot him. We don't need to know. It could have been the Jordanians. It could have been the Israelis. What you what you need to do is forgive that wow. person. And do not harbor the anger and bitterness in your heart. This is what she told her children after her husband, the love of her life, is mm. killed, and they have to bury wow. him in the back. And now she's stuck in the house with all these hungry mouths to feed mm. as they're grieving, trapped in this war zone. And then a few days later, they have to flee their home because the Israeli troops are coming and they end up taking that neighborhood. And so Bashar and his family and all the other people who lived in Masrara ran uh, into the old city of Jerusalem. And so then the story goes on about how he and his, his siblings grew up in orphanages, but how the faith, this very, very strong faith of Bashar's mother, Huda, who she was almost like, she had this kind of faith that any like charismatic, North American charismatic would resonate with. Like she would, She would say, like Bashar came home one day and he said, Mom, we don't have any bread in the house. And she said, don't say that we don't have any bread. This city is full of bread. God will bring us bread. (laughs) And God God will bring them bread. This is the (laughs) time. That's faith. Wow. Wow. She was a nurse. She prayed for people and they would sometimes be healed like in ways that could be explained, except there was something supernatural, a gift that was flowing through her. So this is the kind of woman she was, and she kept uh, the family together in a powerful way, even though she had to put her children in orphanages. She would bring them home on the weekends. And so this incredible strong faith, um, and this this incredible forgiveness, and this incredible sense of grace, and this incredible sense of, we can, in spite of all this, we can still live together in peace. Mm. This is the Lord's desire for us, mm. and we are not going to harbor hatred towards anyone and we are going to forgive and be bridge builders and be reconcilers and hold a posture of reconciliation in our heart and she Mm. was able to impart that to all of her children in spite of their intense suffering and poverty and trauma that they lived through during the war and afterwards and she had every right to be a victim right oh yeah to be the play
1: the victim role instead chose to we just talked about flipping tables in another episode you know and it's like oh my gosh what does that look like to yeah. offer the forgiveness?
2: And and then you could see that the son goes to track down the sniper and get them back. You know, you think right. that's what the story we think is, but the, how different! A, what an incredibly different and more powerful story, right? Of your of yeah. the mother and a forgiveness and a, what he was yeah. able to accomplish. So then, then yeah. he, but then he led him into ministry. Is that? Tell me, just where yeah. that went?
0: Yeah, yeah. So Bashara, you know, there was. There was just a certain grace that was on these kids, and I'm sure it was just due to the faith and prayers of their mother mm. and the grace of the Lord, you know. But a lot of them, they got scholarships and things where they were able to go overseas, and Bashar came to the U.S. You know, he 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 graduated from Dakota Wesleyan University, and, and um, he became a teacher in the United States. But then he went back to Palestine. That was always his heart. That he wanted to go back and make a difference in his community. And so he went back and he became a principal of a little school. And the Lord, you know, really refined him through a lot of things that he went through during that process that prepared him to then launch out with Bethlehem Bible College, which at that time there was no higher education for Palestinian Christians anywhere in the West Bank, let alone evangelicals. And they started this kind of non denominational you know, mostly evangelicals, but very ecumenical to all the other Christian stripes and flavors living Mm. in the land. You know, like we are a minority within a minority. The Christian population Mm. is bleeding out of this land. There's a brain drain, there's a leadership drain, and we, they were terrified. I, I don't think it's too strong a word that if they didn't do something to try to stop the constant emigration of Christians leaving that pretty soon those churches, that people come to visit in the Holy Land would be nothing but places for tourists to visit, but that had no dynamic fellowship actually happening in their own within the local people who lived there. And so they came together across all these denominational uh, boundaries, a group of Christians in Palestine, and they agreed to start this Bible college, and Bashara was the leader and the president of it. So um, it definitely had an evangelical flavor, but it wasn't in a in a limiting way, it was in a very welcoming way to mm. the other Christians. Yeah, mm. and and in those early days, they really experienced a lot of revival. You know, Bashar even bought a tent and had tent revivals. <laughs>
3: okay, <laughs> wow.
0: And people would come from Gaza and Jordan and the Galilee and all over the place, and they would bring in Arab evangelists and people. You know, there was there was. A real move of the Holy Spirit in those early days when Mm. they launched out with this Bible college, right before the days of the first Intifada. Mm. It was just a real sweet move of the Holy Spirit in the Palestinian territories amongst the Christians.
1: It truly is an amazing story of just, you know, with his background and being an orphan and then to see how God... Used his life and used the family's life, and and his mom was instrumental in yeah. with the family speaking into. Here's who we are. Basically, she told them their identity. We're peacemakers. We're going to forgive. We're we're not going to retaliate. In mm-hmm. the we're in the last couple of minutes, we have. Um, how do people find this book? Yet in the dark street, shining. How how would they get a copy of that? Read more of this oh, amazing story.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can get it on Amazon.com. That's the probably easiest. Place for North Americans to get it. It's it's carried in a few, like, minor pockets here and there, but Amazon would be what I would put out there for people to get it. If you're in the Holy Land, you could buy it at Bethlehem Bible College. <laughs> and <other places>.
1: <laughs> so but, just yeah. remind our listeners, it's called Yet in the Dark Street Shining, and I guarantee you, you'll learn so much um, that you can apply to your own life, oh, Learning because stories that's are powerful. so
2: inspiring.
1: Right. Yes.
2: this this has just been such an inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to be on our show. These are stories that we – exactly the kind of stories we want to share of God's working powerfully through others and and ways of peace.
1: And how do we show up and how do we be learners, Yeah.
0: right?
2: Yeah.
1: So thank you.
0: Amen. Thank you for modeling that for us. (laughs) Thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you guys.
2: Blessings to you. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Amplify Peace, educating, immersing, training and launching peacemakers to build united communities. And by Care Portal, a platform connecting the needs of children and families in crisis to the local church.